Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to the podcast today on City of God. I'm going to talk about Reenchanting Humanity. This is my new book. The full title is Reenchanting Humanity, a Theology of Mankind. Reenchanting Humanity just came out. It's with Mentor out of Christian Focus in the UK. It's a book that offers a comprehensive Christian theological anthropology. That was a lot of fancy words, but basically this is a doctrine of man. That is what Reenchanting Humanity is about. Why a book called Reenchanting Humanity? I don't just want to talk about the release. I want to talk about the ideas. Uh, The ideas behind this book, the first seed of this book, came when I was reading Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, and Taylor used the term enchantment. He was talking about what secularism's effects have been. Charles Taylor is a Canadian philosopher hailing from a Catholic background. He and I would have significant disagreements in theology and philosophy, not least in terms of his view of the Reformation. He calls it reform uh, and and the baleful effects of the Reformation, uh, according to him. I would see the Reformation in exactly the opposite terms and see it as fundamentally the movement that actually does help in its time re-enchant the world. And yet, I find Taylor's critique of secularism very, very fruitful. I had actually been working on other issues related to this book in my work uh, as executive director and then president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood from 2012 to 2016, where I engaged manhood, womanhood, the family, marriage, and other matters, and tried to help Christ's church own the truth of God on those issues. That was a great post. I I loved it. I loved serving at CBMW. It allowed me to think deeply about a theology of humanity really for the first time in my life. In recent years as well, I've been pondering the concept of the Imago Dei. Many theologians have done this before me uh, and done this very profitably, and I've learned from them. But I have always uh, wondered whether it was the case that the image of God is a quality or an attribute of humankind. In reading uh, work from John Kilner and G.K. Beale, Mark Cortez, and others, it struck me that the image of God is actually something that holds steady in humanity even after the fall. So in contradistinction to Aquinas and some other figures, I would argue that the image is not lost in the fall and subsequent generations, but rather that the image of God holds steady in humanity. Now, to be very clear, everybody falls in Adam, uh, according to the real historical fall of Genesis 3. Everyone now has a sin nature and and must have Christ uh, save them uh, out of that sin nature if they are to know God. And yet I actually think that just as marriage is one thing before the fall and another thing, uh, the same thing that is after the fall, and just as manhood is made before the fall and still is manhood after the fall, and just as womanhood is one thing before the fall and still is womanhood after the fall, so the image of God is a reality pre-fall and is a reality post-fall. In other words, every person out there is an image bearer. According to 1 Corinthians eleven seven, man is the image and glory of God, speaking to the first man, Adam. And by extension, we know from Genesis 1, 27, that the woman is the image of God as well. And so every, every human person, every person out there is an image bearer. 
when you are looking at a fellow human being, in other words, you are looking at the image of God. Now, the function of the image of God is very much impaired post-Genesis 3. Make no mistake about it. Every capacity we have given us by God prior to the fall, we misuse following the fall. So let's not think that this view downplays the reality of depravity. Total depravity is in play following the eating of the forbidden fruit in Genesis 3. And yet it is still the case that something holds steady about humanity, namely what humanity is. We are the image of God. That does not collapse even amidst the conflagration that is sinning against God in the garden. This is all very important, not simply because we need to know what the image is theologically. It's important because we're in a disenchanted age. We're told today that humanity is no more than a clump of cells. We're just an evolved animal. We're just the latest species to come along. Post-humanists, along with transhumanists, tell us, for example, that eventually humanity is going to be outmoded and we're going to be robots or we're going to upload our consciousness to the collective the, the collective reality online, and then later on, if our body fades away, we can simply download our consciousness into a new body. In different ways, these ideas are all conveying the viewpoint that humanity is not something glorious, not something enchanted, not something stable even. We're just atoms colliding. But if you go to the scripture, if you go to Genesis 1 and 2, you see that the opposite is the case. Mankind is the apex of God's creative work in the first six days of creation. In other words, when the Lord makes the man and makes the woman from the man, he is doing something absolutely unique and stunningly beautiful. He is creating the race that bears his image, his likeness, that in other words, gives a small, distant picture of the display of his own glory. This then could not set us up better, this recognition, this theology, this biblical truth, for engagement with our culture in 2019 than it does. Against the viewpoint that humanity has no meaning, worth, purpose in ourselves, we say God has given every human life meaning, purpose, and worth. Human dignity does not depend, then, upon the intellect. It doesn't depend upon your physical functioning. It's not related to how much you earn. It's not derived from your job. It's not connected to how much you contribute to society. Human worth exists because every person is made in God's image. If you take away that viewpoint, if you take away the intrinsic value of humanity, as I talk about, in this book, Reenchanting Humanity. What are you left with? You're left with extrinsic value alone. In other words, you do have to show your worth as a human being. You do have to prove yourself. All of life is like a basketball tryout in high school where some are going to make it and some are definitely not. But that is not the biblical viewpoint. The biblical truth of the matter is that every human being has intrinsic value. So we are not, praise God, put in a situation from the outset where we have to earn our value, where, where we are dependent on extrinsic value, value from outside of us. That is how the natural man thinks. 
in many corners of this world. And that is definitely how Western society functions in 2019, and we can assume 2020 and beyond. Think of recent engagements with people who have Down syndrome. I recall a European TV show that featured a host talking with a person who has Down syndrome and conveying to them just how expensive it is for the government and for society to support the life of one individual who has this condition. And the point was horrifically, horrifyingly clear, not only to that individual on the show, but to others who saw it, including me. In other words, this is exactly what we are describing when we say that many people today do not believe that humanity has dignity, has worth, and has value. Instead, you must earn it. And if you are a needy person, if you have disabilities, if you have handicaps, if you do not, in, in functional terms, contribute much to society, that part was in air quotes, then you have to show that there is a reason, a very good reason for people to support your existence, even in a basic way. Now, there are, of course, going to be difficult issues re regarding the end of life and how long we artificially extend a life and these sort of matters. Don't misunderstand me. Th those are real issues, and, and they're not easy. And we should not necessarily assume that just because we have a technological capacity, we should always, in every case, use it. So let that be said. At, at the same time, however, if we buy into a theology of extrinsic worth, of us having to prove our value to society, rest assured that we are walking into dystopia. We've been there before in this world, and we're walking there once again. So, friends, my point is this. We need to re-enchant humanity. How do we do that? What's going to accomplish that high and lofty task? That can only be done not by pumping lots of, of money into various social programs. That's not going to be done by giving everybody a self-esteem trophy and telling them in a disnified way how amazing they are. That's not going to come through plastic surgery and making ourselves simply look better so that people value us more, something like that. The re-enchantment of humanity can only occur along theological lines. Say it, say it more directly. You can only re-enchant the human person through divine truth, through recovery of what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God teaches that every life has value, meaning, and purpose because of the image of God, because we are the image of God. But then, then there's more. There's more. Every person is fallen in Adam. And so though I teach the ontological view of the image of God in this book, Re-Enchanting Humanity, Nonetheless, we must make very clear that Adam is not going to get the job done for us, for you and for me. We die in Adam. We all die in Adam, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. So what do we need? We need a second Adam. We need a second real historical figure, Jesus Christ, who can save us, who can take the mess that we have become and re-enchant us, who can reach down in a figurative sense into hell itself and take us away from that terrible place. In other words, who through his real death on a real cross can absorb the real and just wrath of God for us 
and clear the guilty so that we will not suffer conscious eternal punishment from God himself for all eternity, which is exactly what we deserve for our sin. No, God has acted. God sent his own son to the cross, and the cross submitted to the Father's will in order that we would be washed clean of every last transgression, iniquity, act of rebellion, wicked thought, evil instinct, fallen desire. Praise God. It's not enough to talk about the first Adam for us. We have to talk about the second Adam, the life-giving Adam, the true son, the one who is truly human. And that's how we see that we have to talk not merely about anthropology as Christians. We have to talk about Christological anthropology. And that's ultimately what the Scripture gives us. In other words, we understand the human person through the first Adam, yes, as I have been at pains to say, but we understand humanity only ultimately when we understand humanity through the lens, the person of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. You can't understand the human race ultimately until you understand who Jesus was and what he came to do and to be for us. He was crucified for us. He was raised from the grave for us. He ascended to the Father's right hand and now lives there on high, makes intercession for us. What better news could you get about humanity and its value than that? Jesus solves our sin problem. Jesus quenches the fire of hell for all who believe in him by virtue of his death and his resurrection in our place, penal substitutionary atonement. So this is the case that I attempt to make, I try to make, in the 430 pages of Reenchanting Humanity, a theology of mankind, just out through Christian focus. I am after educating the church, training the church up in my tiny little way to understand who we were intended to be and who we can be in Jesus Christ. People all around us are having this anthropological conversation. People all around us are asking what it means to be human. People today have no idea what it means to be human. They think they will be authentically and truly human if they lean into their inmost innate desires, feelings, and thoughts about themselves. They think, in other words, they are a blank slate and they can discover who they truly are if they authentically follow their heart's desire. But this is not what Scripture teaches. You will not become truly human if you embrace a transgender identity. You will not become truly human if you come out of the closet, in air quotes, and embrace your homosexuality. You will not become truly happy and truly human if you walk away from your wife and your children because you feel like you are not fully fulfilled in that context. We are told today that our feelings matter most. We are told that our identity itself is dependent on our feelings. But friends, we have to help fellow sinners by birth understand that our feelings lie to us all the time. We are not the sum total of our feelings. We are made in God's image as we see through Adam in Genesis 1 through 3. And we must be remade into the image of Jesus Christ through saving faith. That is when we will understand what true humanity is. 
True humanity is not just a concept, in other words. True humanity is a person. Jesus, the God-man, never sinned against the Lord. He perfectly followed the Father's will. He lived to obey the Father. He came to comprehensively glorify the Father. He perfectly kept the law. He never did anything wrong. There was no sin in him, whether at the level of action, thought, feeling, desire, or inclination. Jesus is Jesus was the God-man. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity in human form. He is the true human. So in other words, when we're talking about what it means to be truly human or authentically human or, or, or what the end of humanity is, we cannot locate it in any sinful desire, instinct, or action or any sinful person. We have to look at Jesus. We have to understand that he and he alone shows us what we were made to be. And so we will live, truly live, only when we know him through saving faith. There's a lot that we need to communicate today. What we need to know is that questions of anthropology are really the questions of the age. There are certain times in history when a lot of different matters and issues crystallize around a common theme. This happened in the 16th century with the Reformation. This happened in the 20th century with various controversies over the nature of Scripture. And it is happening today in the 21st century around humanity. What does it mean to be human? Many people today follow death of God theology from the 60s and the 70s. It became very hot then, and they think today accordingly that man has died as well. First came the death of God, now has come the death of man. In other words, as I have said in several places here, there is no meaning to humanity. We can't say anything definitive about who we are. We are atoms colliding. We are matter that exists for a time and then goes away. Or, according to post-humanists, we will soon all become robots and transcend this mere human frame. Friends, we have to understand that our eschatology, unlike these other ideologies, tells the truth. Humanity's future is not grim. For all who are a part of the new humanity that is in Christ, that is created by the cross of Christ, according to Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, one new man formed by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, Our future is only going to grow brighter and brighter and brighter. We will live forever. We who now are fully human and are being remade in the image of the one who was truly human, Jesus Christ, will soon shed all our sin, all our frustration, all our pain, all our sickness, and go to live forever with the King with the warrior savior, Jesus Christ, in the new heavens and new earth. These truths that we have sketched thus far, including this last one, this eschatological truth centered in Christ and our home with him forever, dwelling with God in the new heavens and new earth, this is what we call the re-enchantment of our humanity. This and no other is true and lasting human hope. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. 
We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.